You hear that? That is the sound of Daniel Cormier's legacy. It's a sad, sad thing. Maybe one of the greatest fighters in MMA who will now not be remembered as such. It's truly sad to see uh, DC lose to John Jones. That's the one side of it. Of course, the other side is that John Jones is back. But we're also back. You find yourself back at the Hurt Take. I am your host, Reese Dobigan. You have returned for another round with me. The MMA podcast for the fans, by the fans. Here to talk about the spinning wheel of MMA. The sport just keeps on changing. It always moves on and leaves victims in its wake and carries forward those on the on the rise, those riding the wave. A lot of people were left in the wayside after UFC 214 this weekend. Some careers, some legacies changed. It was a monumental weekend. So we're going to start at the top. Because we have to. We're going to start with the return of John Bones Jones. You know, there was some... Some skepticism in certain circles. People wondering, would the ring rust take effect on John Jones? Just over a full year gone from his last fight against Ovin St. Preux, in which he didn't look particularly great, I guess, by John Jones' standards, of course. He cruised to a victory, but most people were expecting more. A full year before that, since his other fight, so he's pretty much had one fight in two years and a lot of personal turmoil. But of course, as we saw on Saturday night, none of that seems to matter. John Jones is a painter, blood is his paint, and the octagon is his canvas. That guy is a savant of fighting, he is a gamer. You know, you got practice players and you got gamers. John Jones is a gamer. He was born to do this. You know, if there was if there was doubt going into this fight about that, I mean, it's all gone now. It's all gone now. It's like after what Conor McGregor did to Eddie Alvarez. Yeah, he had lost to Nate Diaz and there were some questions, but there's no doubt about it. That guys like McGregor, guys like Jones, they just have an innate ability to do this sport. There is something about them that makes them different than everybody else. You know, it's nothing that we can measure. It's nothing that we can even see. But John Jones is simply pre-naturally talented for this. He has an incredible ability. And we saw it in this fight to blend the tactical with the strategic. You know, it, it looked like at times John Jones had eight limbs. He was using his oblique kicks quite liberally. Uh, he would throw in a sidekick occasionally. He was jabbing to the body. He was hooking to the body. I think his boxing looked 
better than it's ever looked, uh, which isn't saying much. He's never been a, a particularly amazing boxer, but he was using it to keep the range that he wanted. I think that the range that he's most vulnerable and the range at which Cormier was going to have the greatest advantages was within punching range, in the pocket. In their last fight, Cormier made a lot of tactical mistakes. He would be in that range and then allow himself to fall into the clinch where he also, I think, made a strategic uh, mistake, was thinking that that's a place he would he would be able to compete with Jones or have the advantage, and he didn't. And that first fight, Jones showed it. And in this fight, Jones basically didn't give him the clinch at all. Didn't, didn't even give him the, the, the punching range. Locked locked him out entirely, and he used those obliques. Um, I, I thought this might have been John Jones' best performance, to be quite honest. And, and, and the thing about it, too, was, you know, I had this discussion with a buddy at the, at the bar as we were watching the fight. You know, there's a level of intensity to an MMA fight that's different than, than another fight. You know, you see guys start winging haymakers and street fights and all these things, and it's, it's, that's one thing. But there is a controlled intensity to an MMA fight where these, these fighters can come out and they will be on their game from the moment go. And Robbie Lawler showed this earlier in the night where they will be on from the moment go and they will bring an intensity that you just can't possibly withstand. An intensity that's measured, an intensity that is precise. From the minute that fight started, Jones was on his game. He 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 had his game plan and he was working it. You know, so I even I even think that that second round, which I think he lost on the cards, I think he was kind of giving away a little bit of that round, building for what was to come later. And an example of this is is the finish to the fight. You know, you saw Jones uh, as in the first fight, he would switch into southpaw to take away that front lead leg. Normally an orthodox fighter has that left leg forward. He was dropping into southpaw to eliminate that leg from Cormier. Cormier loves the high crotch and he loves to go in on the left leg. He would drop that into southpaw to keep him from getting that leg. And he would dig to the body. He would dig to body with, um, with, with left hand um, hooks, mostly from the orthodox during that fight, but I think he was doing it a little bit from southpaw uh right before the head kick he jabbed low from southpaw with that that left hand and then you know what happens is cormier is he's taken enough punishment to the body he's seen that left hook to the body enough times that when jones flinched cormier you know dropped over he leaned to his right side as if he was expecting that body jab and instead the shin came up Connected flush, sent him stumbling. Perfectly set up by Jones. That was that was a the kind of stuff that Jones does so well. He can he baits guys, he traps guys throughout a fight. He's willing to lose a battle if it means winning the war. He's willing to concede certain battles. He's willing to to let Cormier maybe feel like he's pressuring him, pushing him back if it means that he can work the body. And it led to the finish. I mean, just brilliant stuff. Um, there's been discussion that maybe the finish should have been stopped earlier by John McCarthy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I operate on the premise that almost every fight could be stopped earlier. You know? 
some people have, were really upset that that Joe Rogan interviewed Cormier after the fight, considering he was concussed. I think it's a little bit ridiculous on one hand to uh, come out up in arms about it when Joe Rogan was essentially the guy who be- who began this discussion about the interviews after when guys are hurt. He was the one who addressed it on his own podcast and said he was uncomfortable with doing it and didn't want to do it ever again. Now, obviously that doesn't make him look good considering he did just do it again, but I bought his rationale. I bought his rationale. He, he said that he, he wasn't thinking about it. He was, he was pretty much in shock. He was stunned by the finish, and I was too. I think most people were. I think most people were. I was not thinking for one second, and that was a discussion I had with, with my buddy at the bar. Earlier in the night, we had had that discussion about interviewing concussed opponents, and then when it come later in the night, they stick the mic in DC's face, I wasn't even thinking about it. So, I can understand. Um, I don't think that they should have done it, you know, in hindsight. But hey, hindsight's twenty twenty, baby. The present is not. Uh, I think there was a video circulating around about Jones maybe calling that that left kick uh, at a presser a few years ago. You know, basically saying that he sees Cormier lean to the right side, and Cormier says, "Oh, you're not going to catch me with that left kick," and you know. Jones said, well, you better figure, you know, fix up that weakness. Listen, I get a bit irked by that stuff, the whole prediction things. We, we put too much weight on it. We put too much weight on it. McGregor, this mystic Mac, getting all that credit for calling the shots in the past, fine. I give the guy credit for, for you know, getting the finish, for knowing the route that they were going to achieve that finish, but... These predictions are pretty binary stuff in a lot of ways, okay? For, for a smart fighter like Jones, for a, fart, uh, fart, for a fart smeller, for a smart feller like Jones and for a smart guy like McGregor, it's a combination of these guys being very smart and very perceptive about their tactics and then their willingness to say it. I mean, really, how, ma- how many fighters are brave enough to point out the holes in their opponent's game that they're that they're truly going to exploit in the next fight. Most guys don't do it. They're paranoid their opponent is going to actually fix that or hasn't noticed it and they don't want to give it away. This is something that happens in all sports. Look at football. Football coaches are crazy paranoid. But I guarantee you if most good football coaches were to admit this is where we're going to attack this team because this is what we see on paper. This is how we're going to win this game if we win this game. More often than not, they'd be right. That's their game plan. That's how they're trying to win the fight. Conor McGregor predicting a knockout in the first round is easy for him to say. You know? His whole game is built around pressure and getting that big pop from his left hand. His whole game is built around getting the power shot early. So for him to say it's going to be a knockout in one, well, of course, if he finishes the fight, that's probably how it's going to go. He just has the balls to say it. So I give the guys credit. I just think that digging up these things and then acting like John Jones is some kind of a savant is a bit much. He's not a goddamn psychic, all right? Don't give him credit for that. Give him credit for being a smart dude who followed his game plan and exploited the weaknesses his opponent gave him. Now, of course, the next subject. Who's next for John Jones? Jones did his best to lay the groundwork for that. He called out Brock Lesnar. Listen, he's not fighting Brock Lesnar anytime soon. 
Lesnar has not entered, uh, re-entered the drug pool, the USADA drug pool, which he would have to do in order to get this fight. And he has a one-year suspension that would kick in as soon as he jumped back into the pool. Now, I guess there's some little loophole. The UFC could, could waive a six-month uh, part of that suspension per their policy of a fighter coming out of retirement, which is essentially a loophole play that they did the first time when, when Lesnar came back to fight Hunt on 30 days notice, which led to the suspension. I'm not even going to talk about the ethical gray zones of that. So if they're going to fight, it's not going to be anytime soon. It, it's going to be at least six months from now. Do we think that John Jones is, is willing to wait six months? Can he afford to wait six months to fight again? I guess. I, I guess so, but wouldn't he want to be a, active wouldn't he want to get paid wouldn't he want to build on his legacy i don't buy that he wouldn't take the paycheck if it's the right fight alternatively so who does the ufc give him does he get uzumir has the fine uh, has the time finally come for a gustafson rematch that i mean that's where my money is uh people were clamoring for it after the original and while jones's win is now kind of remembered more for being the clear victory it was the UFC can still use that redemption narrative for Jones. They can plaster shots of video of Jones' busted up face after their first fight. Hey, you've got a narrative. You've got a narrative. Or, hey, we're going to be fantasy booking. You could preface the Lesnar fight by jumping Jones up to fight a contender at heavyweight. You know? Hell, another heavyweight should get on this as soon as they can. If I were Francis Ngannou... That would be my call-out if I win at UFC 215, if I beat Junior Dos Anos. I'll say, hey, Jones, you, wanna, you want a bit of a test run? You want to fight Brock Lesnar? I bet you can't even beat me. Or even better, give him, give him Stipe. Promise Stipe the big payday he's looking for. Give him Stipe. Hope he takes the title. Then you've got Jones versus Lesnar for the belt. You know what? You know what? Screw it. Call up Deontay Wilder and get Jones into a boxing match. We need crazy stuff. Nothing says crazy like that. He's not going to fight Brock Lesnar anytime soon. And if he does, I'll watch. It will be a very interesting fight. It will be a pride-like fight. Do I necessarily like it? Eh. Not like some other super fights, but more than most super fights. I'll tell you that. All right, that's enough Jones. That's enough Jones. Elsewhere on the card, the firestorm, the fallout from Tyron Woodley and Damian Maya. Boy, it has been fierce. I think that that was one of the, the, the main things that came out of this card was the reaction of Dana White doing what he is wont to do as usual, crushing his fighters devaluing them, probably hurting their drawing power, uh, making himself look like a terrible boss, uh, not really promoting in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, let's be honest here. You're going to criticize Tyron Woodley for being in a, in a fight that wasn't entertaining. That's, that's one thing. But why don't you look in the effing mirror? Why don't you look... I mean... You're giving him matchups that are unfavorable. You're giving him matchups that are going to lead to fights that aren't entertaining. The, Woodley himself has said this before. I mean, I, 
Listen to what he's saying. No, don't listen to what Dana is saying. Tyron Woody himself didn't say, didn't want the Thompson fight at first. He didn't want the Thompson fight. He wasn't excited for the Maya fight. And both times his rationale has proved true. He said before this Maya fight it would do nothing for him. Because he knew it wouldn't be entertaining. He knew it wasn't going to be entertaining. He'd have to blow his head off in the first round to do that. And there was that was not a likely path to victory. The Thompson fight came out as a wash for him. You know, both of those fights, the first one was pretty great and entertaining, the second one was a wash, almost counteracted any goodwill the first one left. I mean, but just look at the guys that they've given him. Stephen Thompson and Damian Meyer are not barn burners. Maya is a specialist. Look at how Carlos Condit and Matt Brown did against Maya, and those are, those are exciting uh, fighters. Those are offense-first fighters. They were ragdolled. Those are guys who were trying to finish. They were ragdolled. Or how about Stephen Thompson? His preferred range is hardly ideal for any fighter whose objective is the knockout. For any fighter who's looking for a finish, good luck against Stephen Thompson. Look at Johnny Hendricks. Look at Jake Ellenberger. So you're, you're, you're criticizing Tyron Woodley for not taking risks when you're giving him fights that that don't reward him for the risks. You're giving him fights that match up wise. If you're a matchmaker, it's not just about fights that are exciting. It's about fights that can be exciting. Stylistically, how do these two fit together? And the UFC has not done that for Tyron Woodley. Which is funny because the UFC is essentially operating on the old set of rules with Tyron Woodley compared to all, uh, many of these other champions. Tyron is fighting number one contenders. A lot of champions these days aren't really doing that necessarily. They're fighting anybody that will be a big payday. And we criticize Tyron Woodley for asking for that. And now that he's operating on the old set of rules, we're punishing him for it. Should he get GSP next? Are you kidding me? I would pay for that fight. I would pay for that fight in a second. Will he get GSP next? Apparently not. Apparently GSP is getting busy. A fight that we didn't want seven months ago, most people were criticizing, that now looks not so bad. Because since then, Robert Whitaker has tore his knee up and he's out. And Yo Romero lost to him in that fight, so he's not really a contender. So who does Michael Bisping get? And Luke Rockhold's booked for that, so who does he get? Now, all of a sudden, this fight actually sort of makes sense as a placeholder. How times change. How times change. Elsewhere on the card. Cyborg. Oof. Can anybody beat here? I, I don't know. I doubt it. I mean, they're going to have to find... Maybe Megan Anderson, I guess. They have to find a natural 145-er, that's for sure. Because nobody undersized against her is going to be able to hold up. Uh, Cyborg firmly established herself to be the best women's MMA fighter ever. I don't think that means necessarily she's the best uh, champion. Um, I think that this belt has now given her that clout. 
one more, and you know, if she gets a, a one title defense out of this, I mean, I think she puts the argument to rest. So have been a defending champion. But Cyber was a dominant champion in Strike Force. She was a dominant champion in Invicta. So we have to kind of, you know, so Rousey maybe winning more in the UFC. Does that mean more? I think we have to contextualize that. Circumstance, man. Rousey fought in a much more populated weight class, which naturally meant that it was more ideally suited to debut in the UFC. Who the he- They couldn't debut in the UFC a 145-pound belt before a 135-pound belt. They wouldn't have had the fighters. They still don't have the fighters. So Rousey had a big-time head start on Cyborg. Big time. And when you consider that Cyborg was winning before Rousey debuted while that Rousey was dominating and now after Rousey's basically disappeared from the sport she's the best she's the best women's MMA fighter ever period dot your I's cross your T's she looked great I would think that they'd give her Megan Anderson next Uh, I was eager to see that fight you know, we'll also see if she if she suddenly gets a different treatment from the UFC. I mean, it seems that Tyron Woodley right now is public enemy number one of Dana White. Prior to that, it was Demetrius Johnson. Prior to that, so maybe maybe she'll be she was just the flavor of the month in terms of who Dana White didn't like at the time. But who knows? Now. One thing I've noticed, a bit of an overarching narrative I want to touch on, that I think UFC 214 really encompassed, really tied together nicely, I noticed, is the changing of public opinion within the MMA sphere amongst fans. In public, how our opinions change from over time. You know, you look at Tyron Woodley as... He is right. He's a disliked fighter. He's one of these public enemy number one. People don't like him because he's a methodical fighter. He turns away contenders left and right. But, but you know, this, this time four or five years ago, George St. Pierre was celebrated. Celebrated for a lot of those things. For being a dominant champ. For turning away contenders left and right. Tyron Woodley's not. He's criticized for it. Now, I'm not saying people should like Tyron Woodley if they don't like his personality. That's one thing, but I don't think his personality is nearly as... I mean, John Jones hit a woman in a car and went back for the money. You know what I mean? Tyron Woodley's not a bad guy, but clearly... Clearly, there was a point at which public opinion on that kind of thing began to change. You know, I think the UFC, when they went through that bit of a purge where they cut John Fitch and Yushin Okami and they made it fairly clear they weren't looking for methodical fighters anymore. They wanted strikers. They wanted guys who could who could bring action. And then GSP started, people began, began souring on his style. There was a shift in public opinion. People began to sour on GSP's style late in his career and we were given Robbie Lawler. And we were spoiled. Fans aren't eager to go back to GSB-esque champions who win by pragmatic, smart, 
and and talents and won't go out there and take stupid risks. You know, but we were spoiled by a guy like Robbie Lawler, whose reign, while exciting, was not long. But he was praised for it because he stood in front of his opponents and he swung and he took shots as often as he gave shots. That's what people want. So the public opinion has changed. It shifted away from wanting fighters who are dominant to wanting fighters who are, you know, or champions who are dominant to wanting champions who are fun. And similarly to that, the changing in public opinion in regards to um, a character's uh, public image. John Jones was, I, I was shocked by this. John Jones was cheered uproariously at the bar I was watching the fight and across social media. He was praised. People were elated after he beat Daniel Cormier. People were jumping all over the bandwagon and so excited for, for Cyborg's win. So it appears that the, the public opinion... The conversation has shifted away. People are past the idea of PEDs being a harm to your public image. I guess it doesn't matter anymore. So long as you get back on track and keep winning, PEDs are just a thing that people put up with. If you're dominant, if you're great, if you have personal troubles, so what? So long as you come back and give us what we want. It's a fairly interesting shift. We've become increasingly more excited to give away our money for fights that are entertaining rather than give away our money for sport. I don't know. I don't know if it's good or bad. I mean, it is what it is. I just find it a really interesting shift in the way that, that we talk about it. So, to close out the show, a few a few points from UFC 214. Some things that I, I noticed that I was pretty happy about. Robbie Lawler. Good to have that man back. Good to have him back. Boy, he came out like a bat out of hell against Don Cerrone. Smart, smart strategy. Cerrone is a notoriously slow starter. I thought he, he probably could have got the finish there, but Cerrone's tough. Cerrone's tough. Uh... Tough setback for Cerrone. Now his second loss at welterweight. Who knows what he's going to do. But he's a really, really active guy. So you could see him hitting that reset button again and becoming kind of a UFC guy, taking more and more fights, you know, against against up-and-comers, against action fighters, just kind of being the people's fighter again. You know, who knows? We, he could go on another six-fight win streak and put himself in title contention again. But it's good to have Robbie Lawler back. Uh, don't know where his where his path is going to lead. Maybe he gets Tyron. Maybe they get maybe they give him to Tyron. Why not rematch? It's been enough time. Robbie Lawler came back, had a good win. Everyone talks about Tyron's boring. Give him Raw. Give him give him Robbie again. Why not? Elsewhere, there was a. Josh Berkman got knocked out in the very first round of the very first fight of the UFC 214. When Josh Berkman gets knocked out in the very first round of the very first fight, does it make a sound? It's tough. 
He's he's sort of a hipster pick these days, but I guess Josh Berkman's time maybe passed. Is Jason Knight the new Chris Lieben? The man went zombie against Ricardo Lamas. As Lamas was stalking him around the cage, I don't know how he stayed on his feet and kept swinging. Uh, it was incredible. I mean, he ultimately lost, but to take that kind of punishment and swing back? New Lieben. New Lieben. Now, my money for fight of the night was Brian Ortega and Renato Morcano. Man, that was a scrap. That was a fun back-and-forth fight. Lots of stand-up. Momentum swings. Uh, it had impact on the contendership of the division. You know, now Ortega is definitely pro- going to get, like, a top-five quality guy. That was my pick for fight of the night. I really enjoyed that fight. Didn't hurt that I kept saying Ortega needs to get this to the mat, needs to create a scramble and lock in a submission. And then he did, and he won. Not bragging. But I'll tell you what, it's always good to end the show with a brag. So I will. I want to thank you for joining me for another week of The Hurt Take. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Check out all the work we do on notthepublicbroadcaster.com. And join me next week for one more round. On the podcast for the fans, by the fans, I'm your host, Reese Dobkin, and I am out.